0: Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for your word that never changes. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us. I just pray that you fill us with your spirit. Open our hearts up to you even as we open your word up to us. Help us to be led and filled and directed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. As a communication teacher, it's always interesting when we talk about things like slang and jargon because... um, When we think about jargon, a lot of times we think about all those things that we don't understand that people talk about, or we think about slang as all those things in subcultures that we don't understand, when the whole point of slang and jargon is that it's supposed to clarify things. The whole idea of slang and jargon are they're supposed to immediately simply clarify things for people who already know what they mean. So if I talk about AWOL in a military context, if I talk about the word stat in a medical context, if I talk about... Uh, Six Sigma in a business context, everybody goes, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, except for all those people who haven't got a clue what you're talking about, right? So if you don't get it, you're on the outside. If you're on the inside, it makes everything better, except it obfuscates it for everybody else, like using the word obfuscates, (laughs) right? Which is a great word. It's a very simple word for saying, actually, you made that more complicated and harder to understand instead of clearer like you'd originally intended. It's a lot easier just to say obfuscate, but only if you know what the word means. So when we're talking about some of the words that we use on a regular basis as Christians, we need to stop and remind ourselves that they may not be as generally understood as we think. And even the words that we go, yeah, I totally know what they mean. Like if I were to ask Nina to give me the juice, Nina might pour me a glass of OJ, right? If I were to ask Mariah to give me the juice, she might tell me all the best gossip about an individual. And both of them went, I knew exactly what you meant. And the other one went, what? So, I'd like to stop for just a second over the next couple of weeks and talk about using the right words and using them in the right ways, making sure that the words we're using as Christians, we all understand. Because some of the words that we use, maybe people outside the church don't understand as much. Hint, they don't. But maybe the words we use, maybe even other people inside the church don't understand as well. Hint. You'd think that they would, you'd hope that they would, but they don't necessarily. And one of the things that's even more dangerous than not being understood is not being understood when you thought you would be. That's what happened in World War II when Japan said, yes, we're going to surrender. But they did it in kind of an artsy way to save face, and they did it in such a way that we thought they were saying they're not going to surrender. So after Japan officially said yes, we're going to surrender, we bombed them with two atomic weapons because they thought they were clear and we thought they were clear. I'm going to call that tragic. What do you think? So today, before you go, yeah, 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 I'm on it. Really, really. Atomic weapons. Stop and think about how we're coming across. I remember a Bible study years ago. That I had it with a, a friend and his wife. And at one point in the Bible study, he talked about born-again Christians. And I was like, I'm sorry, you did the little cootie thing with your fingers. What do you mean by born-again? He's like, I don't know. It was like Bible-thumping, charismatic Baptist people. First off, I want to go, okay, the most virulently anti-charismatic people I know are the Baptists. So <laughs> maybe you're lumping things together that shouldn't be lumped together. But beyond that, I'm like, you do realize that the term... Born again is a biblical term. Maybe you shouldn't just be throwing that out as an insult. And that's when I found out that though he had spent years in the church, considered himself a Christian, we were doing a Bible study, he had no clue what the term born again meant. It was interesting, in the youth group several years ago, we were talking about the term born again, and we asked them, do you guys know what this means? None of them could articulate most of them had grown up in the church. This church, none of them could articulate what it meant. Some of them said, I think I know, I just don't know how to say it. we like, try. And they're like, no. Um, until Kate, if I remember correctly, it was Kate that finally went, well, let me just logic this out. What does it probably mean? If we've got to ask our people to stop and think and logic it out, Maybe we've done a disservice, and maybe we shouldn't just assume everybody knows what born again means. So let's look at born again. That's a nice, simple one. And it's one that even the Bible says, oh, no, no, even when it was first said, they didn't get it. Even when it first came up 2,000 years ago, talking to Jesus, Nicodemus goes, I don't don't know what that means. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but we can at least start there. And I want to talk about this term born again. And you go, yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, well, then enjoy the ride. John 3, verse 1. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Contrary to what all of his fellow Pharisees had decided, Nicodemus, like Kate, said, I'm logic this out. I really don't think... You're as messed up as they say. You seem to fit with Scripture. I think you might be who you say you are. This just makes sense to me. Now, he's still a little scared of his peers, right? Because he's coming at night alone and speaking quietly, wearing a funny nose and glasses. But, you know, <laughs> give him credit for believing, right? But is believing enough? I think you probably are from God. Is that Enough. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's a Bible phrase. It's a Jesus phrase. It's in red letters, even. It's in the Bible. But before I even try to unpack that phrase, before I even try to go there at all or explain what it means, maybe we should just look at this verse itself. How important does it seem to be in this verse just in this verse itself because everything else i'm going to say for the next 20 minutes is just going to be intellectually interesting everybody might go huh unless we all agree how important this seems to be to jesus okay so let's nail this down before we go anywhere else whatever this born again thing how important is this i mean i was born in the church right i was born in a christian family i was my family's christian that means i'm i'm christian i'm not buddhist I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. doesn't matter where you're born or how you're born or who you're born, you're born again. What if I'm a really good person? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It has nothing to do with whether you're a good person. Surely God doesn't mean if you aren't a born-again Christian, you won't be saved. No one will see the kingdom of God unless they're born again don't know that I like that. That seems awfully exclusive. Jesus says in red red letters, I tell you the truth, which is Greek for no, seriously. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. So if we want to assume that Jesus actually knows what he's talking about, That suggests we really probably ought to figure out what born again means, doesn't it? And we probably ought to figure out if we are born again. And how important we think born againness, re re rebabinessing, becoming a baby again in Jesus. How how important is that? Because even poor Nicodemus got confused. He's like, so you climb back in? How does that work? I don't get this. But John had already covered this a couple of chapters earlier. In John chapter 1, verse 12, that tells us that to all who have received Jesus, to everyone who has accepted him as coming from God, to those who believed in his name, they didn't just say, yeah, I think he is from God. They believed in him. They're putting their faith in him. He gave those people the right to become. I have believed in his name. Like, then you get to become. I believed, right. That doesn't mean you are children of God you have the right to become will you let him change you will you let him adopt you will you let him wash you clean you have the right to become children of god children born not of natural descent like what country or family or household you're born into whatever that I don't know, whatever that you happen to have been born into nor of human decision or husband's will like a couple got together and go we ought to have some kids Nothing wrong with that. But he says this, no, you're born of God, by God's will. This is a different kind of birth, and it leads to a different kind of life. Like we've talked about so many times before over the years, Christianity is not just a shiny new polish on your existing life. It's not a way of fixing the cracks or solving life's problems. It's not like, well, my life was difficult, then I became a Christian, and I found the lubrication I needed to get through things. Oh, and I got the better shock absorber. Oh, it made a lot of things make more sense. So I'm more comfortable, I'm more happy here. Those things are all great, that's not what it is. Those are all byproducts of what it is. Christianity is an entirely new life. It's coming at things from a completely new direction. It is not just a Republican patch sewn onto a Democratic garment. Flip those if you prefer, I don't really care. It's not that. It's coming from an entirely different kingdom. Is Christianity going, I'm becoming more of a Republican American than a Democratic? I'm becoming more of a Democratic American. I'm more of a Tory. I'm more of a Whig. I'm more of a, I don't know, what other out-of-date parties do we want to go to? No, it's saying this, important though it is, is secondary to I am part of the kingdom of Christ. That's who I am. That's my nationality. By the way, I play it out this way. Fine, but this is my core identity, first and foremost. It's the ultimate do-over. It's the ultimate... Life reboot, whole new clean operating system. You're re fine. because you are. You're, you're having to come up again with. What, what do you learn as a as an infant? What do you learn as a toddler? What do you learn as a child? You're like, well, how to how to play good with others, how to make sure you get proper nourishment, how to become a healthy adult and mature, how to learn how to learn. Isn't that what isn't that what grade school is all about? Learning how to learn. Junior high and high school is learning what to learn. In colleges, well, I should probably learned this. <laughs> Mid twenties is, man, I didn't learn nothing. So that's rebabynessing in Christianity. It's going, stop. Learn how to properly n- get nutrients. Learn how to play nice with others. You mean get my toys back? That's not what I said. Learn how to grow and mature. Learn how to learn. Learn what to learn. Learn it. Start from scratch again. What did Jesus say back in Matthew 18? He said, I tell you the truth. Greek for no seriously. Right? Unless you change and become like little children, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, this is two different times in two different gospels where two different times he says, no, I'm telling you seriously, you have to change and you won't see heaven unless you do. Right? How many times does Jesus have to say something before it's true? Once. Once. I'm not even going to do a lit review, Two, I think is fine. Therefore, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he's not saying that children are so awesome. They're so innocent. They're so perfect. What he's saying is, is you have to be willing to humble yourself and to change. You have to be willing to consider yourself immature. And people go... Proving his point, yes? You have to be willing to change. Consider yourself immature and in need of coming to Christ simply. Unassumingly. I think I just need Jesus. Tell me in this one part of my life. No. I think I just need Jesus. Yes. There. Now you understand. It's, I need to clarify. I'm not saying that you're tabula rasa, which to anybody who understands what that phrase means, I just explained very clearly and fully. To those of you that have no clue what I just said, you're understanding the whole point of the sermon. You're not a blank slate that everything's been wiped clean of and you have to start all over again. That's not what I'm saying. You're still you. You are still in part the product of everything that's come before in your life. It's just that you're not only the product of everything that's come before in your life. Because you've been born again, not just from your mother's womb, not just growing up in your household, but from God's Holy Spirit, and now you're part of His household. You've done a genuine reboot. That means that you're also part, a product of everything that's come before in Christ's life. And in the life of the Christians around you. And in the life of every Christian that's come before you. And the life of every Jew that came before every Christian and the life of all that is now part of your DNA. You are not just what you were. And for the rest of your life, you will never only be what you were. And you will never only be bound by your own finite resources. You are not the same. And I'm not talking about all of that being stapled on top of your former life. I'm saying everything in your former life is now part of all of that as its foundation. All of this is the foundation, not stapled on top of, but this should be underpinning everything, everything that happened in Christ's life, underpinning and being the foundation for everything going on in your life. You have not been tweaked. You have not been nudged. You have not been highlighted. You have been recreated. As Paul would say decades later in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You have done a flip flop. You have gotten rid of your old flip phone and have finally gotten a smartphone. It is still a phone. It may even still have your old number. It is not the same phone. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously, think about it. It doesn't work the same way, and yet it does. You still make phone calls. But you can do so much more. My flip phone, which I miss, because it was like a Star Trek communicator. (laughs) My flip phone was cool. I couldn't surf the Internet with it. I couldn't do GPS. I literally have what amounts to infinite information at my fingertips now. Still the same phone number for the longest time. Still could do everything the old phone could do, but it was a brand new phone. Do you understand? I've said before God is the great physician, but He's like a heart surgeon, but He's not there to do heart repairs, He's there to do heart transplants. If you don't have a new heart beating within you, then you are not a Christian. You have not been born again. If you say, God, come and just improve me, you've missed it. If you say, God, come, change me, recreate me, you understand. And I'm sure 90% of you here today are listening to me online are saying, yep, no, I get it. And 80% of you are probably right. But for those 10%, those 20%, or no let's be fair, for that 100% of us that on a daily basis forget to remember this, or at least forget to live like we remember this, maybe it's worth talking about. For those 100% of us that might even go, I know what I'm talking about, and then we forget to live like that at work on Monday, go to work on Monday and you forget to live like, first and foremost, I'm not from this place, I don't go to work primarily to make money or to make widgets. I go to work primarily to honor Christ. You do all that, right? Every one of you all the time, every Monday, yes? For those 100% of us who regularly forget to live like this, who on Wednesday nights at dinner when somebody's saying something obnoxious or pushing some sort of sociopolitical message that we have a problem with and we react exactly like this world does, On Tuesdays when you're at a voting booth, on Fridays when you're at a bar, on Sunday mornings when you're sitting in pews, for so those hundred percent of us who forget to live like this, who say I am, I'm at my core, my demographic. I'm at my core, my family dynamic. I'm at my core, my ethno- ethnological subgroup. I'm at my core, my socio-political party. I'm at my core, this. As a Christian, at your core, at your core, you are not the product of your liberal or conservative culture or your socioeconomic demographic. At your core, at your core, if you truly have a new core, if you truly have been born again, at your core, you are first and foremost Christian. That's your last name. First and foremost, at your core, you are ambassadors of God's kingdom. Mirrors reflecting heaven. Where you step is heaven. Where you speak is heaven. At your core, because you've been born again. At your core. I fail this every single day. You know why? Because I'm stupid and I'm broken. You may not be as stupid as I am. You may not be as broken as I am. You only screw this up every other day. But this week, as I've interacted with both Christians and non-Christians about Roe v. Wade, about same-sex marriage, about yada, 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 yada this week I've heard a ton of people react far more like conservatives and liberals than like Christians and non-Christians. My children, this should not be so. You want to hold a conservative viewpoint? Knock yourself out. You want to hold a liberal viewpoint? Knock yourself out. You get me alone, I'll tell you where I stand on any political issue you want me to speak about. And why. But if that's who you are, you have forgotten to remember that you are born again. Start with that. We are not just worldly people who have decided that Jesus is from God. Nicodemus was that. Yes? We are otherworldly ambassadors who have been changed by God and restarted afresh anew. Does your life look more Republican than it does Christian? Does your life look more millennial than it does Christian? Do your words and your actions reflect God more than they do your demographic? Calling someone a born-again Christian is technically redundant, Because there is no other, there can be no other kind of Christian than born again. But it is helpful for us to remind ourselves what that means. That there are no spectators in the kingdom of God. There's no sort of followers of Christ. There's no kind of cross carriers every day. There's no God-fearing pseudo-Christians. This is not a game for the timid. Paul told young Pastor Timothy, fan the Flame of the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self discipline, which, by the way, if you remember, is what I talked about last week. There's continuity, people, track. But as Christians, this should change how we do things. Not just how we do things, but how we look at things. As Christians, is it possible for us to be victims of? No, we can be martyrs, we can be survivors. You are not a victim unless you choose to be because you are never alone. You can be hurt, you can be abused, you can be broken, but you, you're not a victim. Don't let the world define those terms. Don't let the world define the stakes. You are not just the sum total of what people have done to you. As Christians, we're more than conquerors, because conquerors may win battles, but we are overcomers. Whether we win the battle or not, we can still win. And in our hearts, we're trying to win people. And even if we lose the battle, we can win the war. As Christians, we are never just the sum total of our demographics, of our fears, of our yearnings, of our stresses, of our selves you're never just that because god our father loves us enough to discipline us and that what we talked about last week and to discipline us so that we may be self-disciplined and self-controlled so that we're honoring to our family name so that when we face moments of crisis when we when when laws and courts rise and fall when when countries burst forth or when they crumble when when Fear and hatred permeate and saturate a conversation or the world around us. We are not that world. We are not that world because we've been born again. We're from another place, from a better spiritual stock to honor a better family name. And I don't say that to make us prideful. Too many Christians jump on that and say, yeah, no. I say that to make us mindful. I've said it before in seminary. One of my profs said, "How do you feel emotionally?" I don't want to just teach theology. How do you feel emotionally that you have God's family name? And he asked one person, and she said, "I feel loved." I asked another person, "I, said, I feel accepted." I asked another person, "I, just, I feel amazing." He came to me, he asked me, and I said, "Responsible." And I don't mean that negatively. But if my name is right, I was always told when I was a kid growing up, a Wright never lies, literally beaten into me as a child. You do not ever lie because you bear this family name and you drag it through the mud when you lie. It's like impossible for me to lie. I just can't do it. I've gotten into a lot of trouble from that. So I've learned to be very tactful. But my last name isn't right. Name is Christian. That has to change how I live, doesn't it? It has to. As Jesus told Nicodemus that night, God so loved this broken, sinful world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's why Jesus came to reach out to this broken world, to all those people that we would look at and go, you're so wrong! Yes, those are the people he loved. Those are the people he came to save. Those are the people he died to save. A world that's antithetical to everything it was originally intended to be and designed to be. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, so maybe we shouldn't. Because we come so easy at it conservatives condemn liberals liberals condemn conservatives left conser- condemns right right condemns left short condemns tall tall condemns left everybody condemns 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 jesus says i didn't come to condemn the world i don't need to cuz as the, he continued saying to nicodemus whoever believes in him in god's son is not condemned so i don't need to condemn them right do i No, they're not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I don't need to condemn them either. I don't need to condemn those who are part of the family because they're no longer condemned. I don't need to condemn those who aren't part of the family because they already are condemned. Do you dance a jig? Or do you say, then how do I reach those people? Do you see? It changes the way you look at this. I don't need to condemn anybody. I need to embrace everybody. Because there are two kinds of people. Those who I embrace because they are my brother and sister in Christ. And those I embrace because I want them to be. Yes? It changes the way you look at things. Because this isn't a matter of choose path A and live, choose path B and die. you are already dead. It's stay the path and stay dead, or choose this path that God gives you and come to life. That's the choice. So Peter wrote in 1 Peter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy toward a world that hated him in his great mercy toward a world that he designed one way and it went another to his great mercy toward really messed up people you know the ones the ones on the other side of whatever fence you're frustrated about right now those in his great mercy he has given all of us new birth and we're born again not just tweaked not just healed we're given rebabiness we get a total do over into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, who died to give us life, whose death brought us eternal life, and and whose death made that hope not just hope, but he made us part of his family, right? He gave us his family name, us his family lineage, us his family DNA. So he made that hope not just hope, but your legacy as a family member, your legal right. Of inheritance, isn't it? It's not even just generosity at that point. It's burned into law that you have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, no matter what you go through here. That unspoiled, perfect, beautiful inheritance is carved in stone waiting for you, no matter what crud, you have to go through here because you have been born again. Don't ever roll your eyes at that phrase. Not ever. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith, because you believe and have accepted Christ and have been changed, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, which means that you are more than victims, more than conquerors. You are truly overcomers. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, hard weeks, hard times, hard situations. You won't always be happy. But you can always, always have joy. You can always have that deep abiding sense that you are with your Lord and he has not left you alone. Because we are not This world. We aren't. Not anymore. These hard things have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though being refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed because that's where our focus is. That's what we want to be doing. We're not just spectators and we're not just citizens of this place. We're sojourners here passing through. And you're either really real or you're really not. It is not a dimmer switch. It's a non-off switch. And that's not me being judgmental. It's just physics. Outside of Princess Bride, there is no mostly dead. (laughs) If you are real, if you are truly reborn, if you are alive in Christ, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter's writing this at a time when they're lighting Christians alive on fire along the Appian Way. And he says, you have an inexpressible and glorious joy, no matter what the world does around you. Why? Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, and that is so much better, so much deeper, so much richer than this place is not to say, even remotely, that this place doesn't matter, that laws don't matter, that decisions don't matter, that people don't matter, that what happens to you tomorrow won't matter. No, 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 no. They do matter. But within the proper context and framework of who you truly are now. Therefore, he says, if you really have been born again, if you really are a Christian, what should you do? Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's what you do. That's what you do. Think about, really think about how to live, how to be self-disciplined, how to honor God in this world in a way that reflects not this world. That. Peter straight up says, therefore, if you truly have been born again, This is what you have to do. As obedient, born-again Christian children, he says, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance because we're not this world anymore. Don't act like it. Don't let the world beat you into its shape. Don't do that. But just as he who called you is holy is set apart, I want you guys to be holy in all that you do. For it's written in Leviticus, in like. Four, five, six verses in Leviticus. Be holy because I'm holy. Be set apart. Not just accepting. Be set apart. Not just conservative. Be set apart. Not just nice. Be set apart. Not just... Be set apart for God's glory. Live like your life is refreshed, renewed, set apart specifically to honor God what you do, why you do it, how you do it. As our favorite preacher of written preachings said in Hebrews... Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As Peter preached in Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. As Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Are we all clear on what that means? Good. Let's try to remember to remember that. Amen? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you so much that as situations, politics shift and change, the core value doesn't. So I pray, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to know which laws to support, which laws makers to encourage, which which way to jump on social issues. That matters. But I pray, help us to make those decisions based on what truly matters, loving you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. I pray, Lord, help us to honor you. Thank you for new birth. In Jesus' name, amen.